as Jesus lived and walked among us. So um, it's on Luke, the Gospel of Luke, or uh, the, the book that Luke wrote about Jesus' life, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. And if you've got one of these on the pew holders in front of you, you'll be able to find it on page 852. I'm going to read that, and then uh, Justin is going to come and speak to us based on this passage. All right, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thanks so much, Pete. Hi, friends. It's, um, it's good to be here. It's been ages since I've been here. But, you know, as I mentioned before, as much as I love my home church, I love being able to come, you know, to this church and see different churches and see what God is doing throughout different places all over Sydney. So basically, a bit of background. As I mentioned before, Pete and myself, we go, we go way back. So let me, uh, let me take you back to 2005, 2006. So we had this young, fresh-faced pastor wander into our church. And you know what some of the, one of the things that some of us noticed, one of the first things we noticed was? You might have noticed it yourself as well. That slight perm that Pete had in his hair, right? And there was always this talk about whether, firstly, that perm was natural, right? And then secondly, whether Pete was actually Korean. Um, and, and you know what I'm talking about, right? Like if you put a picture of, uh, of, of Pete Ko next to YouTube K-pop sensation Psy, you see the resemblance, don't you? But anyway, I mean, of, of all, all the things that Pete left me, one of the greatest things that he left me was, I guess, teaching me how to read the Bible for myself and to understand it for myself and to be able to hear God's voice more clearly through that process. And it's really allowed me to grow in my relationship with God. That's why, as I mentioned before, like, you know, every time I get to open this up to read it for myself, every time I get to share this with the people that God has put in my life, it really, really excites me. Because as I've spent time reading this Bible, I've realized that God's Word, His Bible, it's a mirror for us, isn't it? It's a mirror that shows us who we are and who God has made us, and also what His purposes for us in His world are, all right? So how about we, uh, we spend a bit of time praying now? How about you let me pray for you and let me pray for myself, and we ask God to do His work in our lives right now. Let's pray. God, we want to thank You that You are here right now, and that every time we open the Bible, it's a chance to hear Your voice. So we pray Lord God, that you speak to us right now, shape our hearts and our minds, 
and help us see just how much you love us and how much you delight in us. Amen. All right, so a couple of years after Jen, my wife and I, got married, we thought, look, you know, it's probably time to, to do some sort of big overseas trip. And all of our friends were saying, look, you know, you've got to do the big trip, take, you know, four or five weeks away and make sure that you just really get out of your system because once the kids come along, you're not going to be able to do it. So you don't want to miss out right now. So that's exactly what we did. We took four weeks off and we thought, look, let's go traveling. So we went to Canada to see my side of the family where uh, my, my dad's you know, brothers and sisters all live and that was great. And then after that, we jetted across the Atlantic and we went to the UK where Jen grew up and we saw her side of the family. But as, you, as some of you guys probably know, once you've done you know, a few weeks living out of a suitcase, you start getting tired and you want to go home. And that's exactly what we decided to do. After about four weeks, we thought, look, let's go home. And our last stop was Hong Kong. And you know, I'm sure lots of you guys have been to Hong Kong. If you've been there, it's such an amazing place, isn't it? Everything's just open all the time. And there's just so much to eat and so much to do. You just want to try everything, right? You guys have been there? Yeah, I'm getting some nods. So anyway, even on our very last day, we checked in our luggage, you know, ready to catch our final flight home. And we got there to the airport early, and we thought, you know, we've got, we've got time to kill, time to kill. We had about sort of about an hour, and we thought, look, let's go try the food court, the airport food court. We'd heard about this amazing food court from our friends and our family. And look, as I'm standing there, and I'm just looking at, this food court, I'm thinking to myself, Farah, this is, you know, snack heaven for an Asian man. And we're looking at all the food, and we just go crazy. We order everything. Jen, Jen had to stop me. So we were ordering, like, wontons, we were ordering dumplings, dim sims, we had noodles, we had buns, and we had pearl milk teas, which are just delicious. I love pearl milk teas. But anyway, we were ordering all this stuff, and it was so bad but so good, right? And we're sitting there and we're starting to you know, sort of chow down into our food. I look at the screen and I see that the flight number for our flight has a sign which says, go to gate. I think to myself, you know what, we've got a lot of time. I'm looking at my watch and I'm thinking, we've still got you know, 45 minutes or so, we should just chill out. Anyway, we continue eating our food. And then five minutes later, the sign changes again. And this time, it says, boarding. I'm thinking, okay, that was a little bit fast, but you know what? We've still got time. We've got lots of food. Let's just finish our food in 10, 15 minutes, and then you know, we'll head off to the gate. It'll be fine. There'll be lots of people in front of us. Uh, there'll be plenty of time. But as I'm sitting there, and you know, we're continuing with our food, I hear another announcement. It's not on the screen. It's an announcement over the PA. And it says this. Final boarding call for Cathay Pacific flight, whatever number, to Sydney. Your flight is due to depart. And far out, you should have seen what happened next. We just grabbed all our bags and we just bolted. I mean, we just bolted. We're running up and down stairs. I mean, the dim sims kind of flying out of our mouths as we were running, trying to get to this gate, looking for where it was. And we finally get to the terminal, right? The terminal where we're departing from. And you wouldn't believe it. The gate the flight was departing from was the last gate on the terminal. I turn around and I look at Jen, and she, she, is, she looks like she's about to collapse. 
So I basically run back to her, I grab all the bags, I've got the, all the hand luggage, I've got all the coats, I've got all the duty-free shopping as well, and I just go. She's like, just go, go, get to, get to the gate and stop the flight. So I'm running and running and running, I get there, and as you'd expect, the airline, you know, the, the, the airport staff, they're flipping out at this stage because the gate, it's got to close. And anyway, we managed to get through, thankfully, and uh, we get down, you know, everyone's all strapped into, into their seats, we get to our seats, you know, throw our luggage in the cabin, and then we just kind of plonk ourselves down two hot, sweaty piles of mess. And that was a day, friends, that I almost missed my final flight home because I didn't want to miss out on some food court snacks. <laughs> Pretty crazy, right? Well, today's question is an important one. What am I missing in life? And I don't know about you, but when I think about that question, so many different things come to mind, but they all focus on I guess, experiences and opportunities. That's what comes to my mind when I ask that question. And when you think about it, the fact that you and I are in here right now means we're probably missing out on a billion different things that we could otherwise be doing right now. So you could, I guess, answer that question in a billion different ways, right? So I want us to get to the question behind the question. I want us to ask the why behind the how. Why are you and I asking that question? Why? Why this feeling of incompleteness? Well, the answer? It's FOMO, isn't it? Yeah? The fear of missing out? You guys know what that is. It's that uneasy, lingering feeling, isn't it? That you're missing out on what everyone else is in on? Yeah? It, that everyone else is in the know, that everyone else is something better or something more than you. It's that edginess that you feel, right? That you always need something more or want something more. That something's incomplete in your life. We've all felt it, let's be honest. And so what happens is that everything we do, we kind of measure up to the people either side of us, don't we? We look at what they've got, and we look at what they've got, and we think, far out, am I falling behind? And so what do we do? We keep hustling, right? We keep pushing. And where does it leave us? I'll tell you where it leaves us. I know where it's left me. Feeling unhappy, thankless, anxious, right? And I mentioned before, you know, I, I, I've worked in an environment where I've seen that life, I've breathed that life, and, and to a certain extent, I've lived that life as well. Because, you know, in the environments that I've been in, that I've been working, they want you to be hungry, don't they? I'm sure you've experienced it too. They don't want you to be satisfied because they want you to be uncomfortable because that sort of hungriness, that insecurity, what does it do? It drives good performance, doesn't it? it? Makes people want more. And it works, at least in the short term. And so what happens is I feel this battle on the inside all the time and... There are times where I just say to myself, look, you know what? It's not worth it. Just be happy. You know, look at all the things that you've got in your life and just be satisfied with what you've got. And yet it just keeps on coming back, that feeling, those questions. And then when I catch myself in that cycle, I ask myself, why am I feeling this way? How can I get over it? Well, we've just met a man called Zacchaeus from this passage. And, you know, I love how the writer describes him, right? 
You might have missed it, but have a closer look. Have a closer look. What do you see? Zacchaeus? He's a man with FOMO, isn't he? He's a man who's driven by fear, isn't he? I mean, you might not, have, you might not be able to see, but let's break it down. So basically, Jesus, in this passage, he's passing through the city of Jericho. And, and Jericho, I mean, I didn't know much about Jericho, apart from what I've read in the Bible. Basically, it was one of the first cities that the nation of Israel conquered 1,500 years before Jesus came around. And, and basically, back then, 1,500 years before Jesus, this city uh, was probably a very wealthy place, actually. It was surrounded by these massive fortified walls, and I'm told that they're the oldest city walls known to archaeologists in the world today. But anyway, during Jesus' time, this place had probably become a place where it was a mix of different people, right? So it was a place of the homeless and the outcast, and we know that because when you look at other parts of the Bible, you hear about how Jesus was healing the blind beggars that were in this place, uh, and, and you might know the story of Bartimaeus, where Jesus heals him around, and around Jericho as well. But, you know, not only was it a place for the homeless and the outcast, it was also the place for the rich and the powerful. And that's where our friend Zacchaeus comes in, right? What do we know about him? Verse 2, he's a chief tax collector, right? Which you might think to yourself, you know what? That's not so bad. I mean, we've got our own commissioner of taxation, which seems like a pretty respectable job, right? But no. Tax collectors were hated by the Jewish people. They were hated by the Jewish people, and let me tell you why. Because they were involved in a dirty business. They'd literally sold out their nation. Sold out their nation by putting their own people into economic and financial bondage to the Roman Empire. And what they were doing was also taking a nice, handsome cut on the side as well, right? For themselves. So basically, they turned their back on their religious and their cultural heritage for what? Two things, I think. Power and influence. It's basically like selling out your own family, right? For money, for influence, for power. That's pretty despicable, don't you? And basically, these guys were seen as greedy grubs, they were corrupt, and they were morally disgusting. And this guy, what was he? He was the chief. He was the guy that ran the entire racket, right, that was oppressing his own people, which explains why, as the writer points out in Luke in verse 2, this guy was so wealthy. This guy was just filthy rich. But that's not the only thing we we know about him from this passage, is it? The writer also says that he was short. I think it's in verse 3, isn't that right? He was short. I mean, that's a... Don't you think it's a strange thing to kind of mention in the story that someone was short? I mean, why, why is that even relevant anyway, right? But let me tell you, friends, it is. And it's relevant because when you look at the passage, the suggestion is that this guy of what we call a case of little man syndrome. You heard that before? Little man syndrome. And you know, basically, it's, he, it must have been the case that he was so short that people literally looked down at him, right? And so what happens, he always found himself on the outside. He was always the guy that, that was picked last on the team. He's not the sort of guy that you'd want to be, right? 
And some of us have experienced that. I mean, we've seen what bullying looks like in our day and age, and it's, it's a problem everywhere, isn't it? And I can only imagine what it would have been like all those thousands of years ago when people were much less kinder. Which explains why when Zacchaeus, he got the chance to stick it back to all the people that had pushed him down and put him on the outside, he did it. And how did he do it? He didn't just become a tax collector. He became the chief tax collector. This guy was an angry little man and he was on a mission, wasn't he? And you know what? I get it. You look at me, I'm not particularly tall. I'm pretty short. And, uh, and, I, and I went to a school where, you know, people were really unsporty. We were all, you know, super nerdy. I, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself, right? The fact that the most popular lunchtime club in our school was, you guessed it, the chess club. <laughs> Hundreds of people in the chess club every lunchtime. And we loved it, right? And so what happens, we'd, we'd go to all these athletics carnivals and we'd literally lose everything. Everything. And, and so it got to the point where the schools on either side of us would come up with these taunts, these jokes that they would literally shout out en masse on either side of us. And one of them went like this. You know, why are grammar boys so small and weak? The answer? No eating in the library. And, which is hilarious, right, on a, on a whole number of fronts. But you know what? Being the people that we were, angry little men who, who weren't very good at sport, but were very kind of quick with words, we came back with our own response. And we weren't going to let this one go. And this is what we used to shout back. Listen up. We used to say this to them. It's all right. It's okay. You will work for us one day. <laughs> and that's, that's how we rolled. I know we have a laugh of it now, but let's, let's be serious. The research shows that people who are emotionally hurt tend to project their hurt and pain on others too, right? I mean, you've heard that phrase, hurt people hurt other people, yeah? And so, when I look at this passage, I think that's what's happening here with Zacchaeus. There's no doubt that those past experiences of emotional hurt had created this fear of missing out in his life, right? And you see that at play here because, I mean, have a look at what's going on here. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard about Jesus' power and Jesus' influence, right? And what does he do? Oh, before, actually, before we move on, he's heard about those two things and it's those two things that Zacchaeus loves, right? He loves power and he loves influence. And, and, and so what happens in verse 3? Zacchaeus, what does he do? He wants to see Jesus, doesn't he? And the sense here, when you look at this passage, is that he wants to rub shoulders with Jesus, right? He doesn't want to miss out on this opportunity. And, and for us, I think we understand that to a certain extent because, I mean, when you look at things like Instagram, when you look at, you know, all the gossip columns or all the royals, they all work. They all work on us, don't they? Why? Because we love celebrity culture, don't we? I mean, you think about it. Every time we get the chance to, to rub shoulders with someone famous or to name drop, we'll do it. You, I mean, you put a famous person next to us and who doesn't want to take a photo with them? We would never miss a photo op with someone that we loved and someone that we worshipped and someone that we enjoyed, um, I guess, the celebrity of. We're exactly like Zacchaeus. But for him, the crowds are in the way, firstly because he's you know, too short, and then secondly... Well, they probably 
are happy to keep him on the outside, right? So what does he do? Well, does he just sit around and just let it happen? No. He doesn't let this one slide, does he? What's he do? He hustles. Verse 4, have a look. He runs and he climbs a tree, doesn't he? He runs ahead, climbs a tree. And that might seem pretty normal to you and me, but let's just have a think about that. I mean, rich people, rich people back in those days, they didn't run and they certainly didn't climb trees. Why? It's pretty disgraceful, right? I mean, if you're rich and you're influential, people do the running around for you, not the other way around. It's pretty much the same for us today too, right? So my question is, why is Zacchaeus acting like this? Well, I mean, the sense that I get when I read the passage is that there's this underlying anxiety in him, right? He really doesn't want to miss out. And friends, we, we've experienced that too, and, and we know that feeling, and we've had that feeling drive us as well, if we're truthful with ourselves. And here's a sad thought to reflect on. We are more wealthy than we've ever been in history, and yet at the same time, we are more depressed and anxious than we've ever been before. What I'm about to tell you is going to be a bit confronting, but listen up. So, a study in the US, right, showed that the number of children and teens who had admitted themselves into the ER hospital, so the emergency room hospital, for suicidal thoughts and suicidal attempts doubled in the year 2007 and 2015. Isn't that phenomenal? And friends, if you think that that's just something that happens in the US, it isn't. Because it's happening right here as well. So the Children um, Institute, Research Institute that, that's run by the Murdochs show that anxiety diagnoses in children between 2008 and 2015 doubled during that period. Friends, we are spending literally, no joke, billions of dollars on mental, mental health every year. And yet the situation is just getting worse, isn't it? We're living in a time where there are constant reminders for you and me of just how incomplete we are, that we need more, that we can't be left behind. And so what do you and I do? We keep reassessing, right? We keep looking at the people on either side of us. We keep asking ourselves, what am I missing? We keep thinking to ourselves, that what other people think of us matters more than what we think of ourselves, right? And we're worried about staying competitive. We're constantly thinking about, well, I want that ultimate job. I want that job that I'm proud of telling my friends and my family about. And even when we've got the job, we're thinking to ourselves, what about my property portfolio? Where's that going? Everyone else is talking about theirs. And if we've got the property, then we're thinking, what about the partner? I need to find a partner now. I've got all the cash in the world. I've got all the property in the world. Now I need to settle down. And then if, it's not, if you've got the partner, then you're thinking about, what about the kids? How many kids can I have? How many can I support? Can I have kids? And the list just goes on, doesn't it? So a few years back, our current prime minister, who was back then the treasurer, said this. 
He said that raising your children, paying off your home, and providing for yourselves in your retirement are the trifecta of the Australian dream we believe in. I mean, friends, don't get me wrong. These things, they're all wonderful things. They're all really, really good things. But my question to you is this. Is the fear of missing out on those things destroying us from the inside out? Is it? And social media doesn't help either, does it? I mean, think about all those wonderfully curated posts that we get every day on our newsfeed, yeah? All those beautiful-looking profiles, they just play, play right into our fears, don't they? And so what I think is that there's a real temptation. There's a real temptation to go down the route that Zacchaeus went down, to compromise our values, to get to a certain end, to use those pointy elbows to sort of get to the front of the line, to find ways to compensate by climbing the social ladder, by making sure that we're in with all the right people in the right places, by dreaming about all the ways that we can stick it to the people that have gotten in our way in the process. You know what, friends? It does drive success in the short term and on the outside. But we know it, that inside, it destroys us from the inside out. Because it leaves us unhappy, it leaves us dissatisfied. And I've lived that life, as I mentioned before. I've seen it my whole career, and I see it every day that I walk into the office. These lives of success on the outside and on the inside, people are deeply unhappy with who they are and what they have. It's a joyless existence. I can tell you, I've seen it. So friends, here's a million-dollar question. How do we break out of it? How do we break out of this cycle? Let's move on. Um, let's have a look at what happens next with Zacchaeus. So basically, he runs ahead, right, into a tree, uh, and he's waiting for Jesus to approach. And then in verse 5, what does Jesus do? Jesus approaches to the spot and looks right up at him, yeah, and starts talking to him, which I think is amazing, right? I'll tell you why I think it's amazing that Jesus makes a beeline for him, because if you, think about it, if you were a star attraction in the ticket parade, right, and you saw someone hanging from a lamppost in the distance, do you think you'd stop to talk to them? Well, I wouldn't. I mean, firstly, it looks a little bit desperate, right, and a little bit dangerous as well. And, and secondly, if you're a star, you want to be seen with all the right people, don't, don't you think? You don't want to be seen with that sort of guy hanging off from the lamppost. But friends, this is what I love about Jesus. He isn't about the power, and he isn't about the influence, right? He stops right there, and he engages him. Jesus totally reverses our expectations, right? But that's not all. Have a look. Notice that Jesus doesn't just smile and wave. What does he do? No. Verse 5, he calls out, Zacchaeus! I mean, friends, that let me tell you, is bold. Because, I mean, if you were calling out in that way to someone that you'd never met before and someone that you didn't know in front of everyone, that, my friends, is a social train wreck waiting to happen. And it's really unique here because, I mean, Jesus in the Bible, if you're familiar with the Bible, very rarely when he comes across someone that he doesn't know before, he doesn't actually address them by name. But what does he do here? He calls out to Zacchaeus directly. Why? 
because he wants Zacchaeus to know that at this particular moment, this isn't some sort of indiscriminate handshake or indiscriminate wave that movie stars give to their fans on the red carpet. This moment's personal. He's saying to Zacchaeus, I see you, I know you, and this, this is between you and me. And not just that. He asks Zacchaeus to come down right now, and he says, I want to stay at your place. I want to stay at your place today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not send me a text to let me know how it goes. I want to see you right now at your place. I want to hang out with you. You know what Jesus is looking for? He's looking for real, personal connection, isn't he? I mean, the idea of going to someone's home, you know it. It's like opening yourself up, right, to them. And I can understand why the crowd is so shocked at this point, right? I mean, you think about it. I mean, there's all these upstanding members of the Jewish community that Jesus could hang out with right now, but what does he want to do? He wants to hang out with the rich, greedy, FOMO-driven guy, the angry tax collector that no one else wants to touch. Verse 7, they describe him as a sinner. That's the sort of guy that this guy is. But friends, that's why I think that this moment, this moment in the Bible is one of the most powerful encounters recorded because what happens? Zacchaeus hears Jesus' invitation to step into his home, into his life, and he responds. Verse 6, you see it? At once, he comes down. No hesitation. It's this moment of total vulnerability where his fears just fade. And you know what he's thinking? This is what I think he's thinking. I can't believe it. I can't believe that Jesus, a man of power and influence, wants to talk to me. What does he do? He just opens himself up to Jesus, doesn't he? Verse 6, he welcomed him gladly, and you get this sense of overwhelming joy and freedom and relief, right? And it gets better, doesn't it? Because in that moment of vulnerability and openness, Zacchaeus realizes who Jesus is. He realizes that Jesus is the Lord of history and creation and that he wants friendship and connection with me, a messed up little man that everyone else hates. Verse 8, he stands before him, before Jesus, and he says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Wow. I mean, that is life-changing encounter that we're looking at right here, isn't it? But friends, don't get me wrong, there's something really important here that I don't want us to miss. Do you notice the order of things? You notice it? Zacchaeus doesn't get his life together and get everything all sorted out and then come to Jesus and say, hey, look, look at this wonderful package of my life. No, he doesn't do that, does he? No, it's the other way around. He encounters Jesus and then Jesus reaches out to him and that encounter changes Zacchaeus. That's how God works. Because right here in this moment, this is where fear gives way to freedom. And Zacchaeus experiences this freedom and power to turn from his past. Why? Because for the first time, what others think of him, their expectations of him, their judgments of him, 
really don't matter anymore. What does matter? One thing. What Jesus thinks of him. And when he realizes that, he realizes what he's been missing his entire life. And he finds it deep, satisfying relationship with his God. He came looking for Jesus, all anxious and insecure and fearful, but Jesus found him. Jesus found him, setting him free from all those things. Have a look at verse 9. Jesus says this, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, I, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. See, friends, that you and I have desires for bigger and better things, that's human. We're built to dream big. We're built to hope big. And that's why we're constantly asking ourselves and searching for that thing that's going to complete us, right? And I want us to listen to what C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia series, says. He says this. He says, if you find in yourself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, then there can be only one logical explanation. You were made for another world. And writer John Piper, who's a pastor from the U.S., provides the Bible's landmark to Lewis's philosophical signpost. He says this, that the heart of the Christian faith is about treasuring Jesus and delighting in Him. That God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. Friends, you want power to change? You want to break through your FOMO? You're still looking for an answer you've been missing out in life? Then let me make, let me say this to you. Make your relationship with God the satisfaction of your ultimate desires. That's what Zacchaeus experienced, right? So I want to tell you about my friend Emily. So I met Emily a couple of years into my first job, and she was a couple of years ahead in her career as well. And we got along really, really well. And so she basically became a bit of a mentor for me, right? And it was only a matter of time that a major client of the firm would approach her and say, hey, look, come over and take up a senior legal role with me. And, and that's exactly what happened. Anyway, she, she moved across to the new place, but we managed to stay in contact. And in December that year, we thought, look, let's catch up. It's been a while. So we caught up and we sat down and you know, life was going really, really well. The job was going really well. She'd just met someone recently uh, that she was going out with, and at the same time, she managed to find a place, a new house, just around the corner from her church. And things were looking really, really good. And she said, look, you know, why don't you, you and Jen come over? Come over Australia Day, we'll do a housewarming, and, we, and it'll be great. So Jen and I were really excited. We uh, were really lo looking forward to the day, and we got there, and the lunch was great. There was so much food, and there was just a real buzz about this place. And then halfway through the lunch, Emily grabbed our attention and she thanked us for coming. And then she said she had something to tell us. And the news was that she'd been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And I remember, 
after that day, Jen and I, we would go over to her place on a Sunday. Sometimes we would, we'd miss church. But we'd go over and we'd sit down, we'd have a chat with Emily and we'd ask her how she was going. We'd talk about what God was teaching us from the Bible and what we'd been learning. But we'd also talk about, I guess, all the fears that come with being sick, right? Or the opportunities that would be missed, or the milestones that she might not have, the travel, the marriage, children. And I remember celebrating with her, her birthday that year. And even though her body was completely broken down, she was sitting in a wheelchair at the time, I still looked into her eyes and I saw that joy that she had. And it was a few weeks later on a Saturday afternoon that I got the news, September 2013, that she'd passed away and gone home to be with her God. Nine months after she was diagnosed, aged 34. And friends, as I reflect on Emily's story, for me anyway, it's so easy just to think, you know, life's really short but then kind of just move on and forget about it, right? And just to go back to all the dealing with all the pressures of life that are going to be here, you know, right now, that that are here when we leave this building. And you know what, friends, those pressures, they're real. I understand. They're not going to go away. But as I look around the room, I sense that some of you feel that pressure too. You feel that pressure, but what you do is this. Every day, you get up, You put on your game face, you meet the world, and you get on with life. But if you're honest, underneath, there's this low hum of anxiety and fear and insecurity that's always there, even when you're not thinking about it. The expectations of your families, they've become your expectations, right? You think about their sacrifices, everything that they've done for you all the time. You don't want to get left behind. You don't want to disappoint yourself. You don't want to disappoint them. And so what do you do? You keep pedaling, right? You keep pedaling, you keep running, and you keep trying to craft this narrative, this story of success that they can be proud of and that you can be proud of. And so you're constantly asking yourself, what am I missing? How do I measure up? And I know that for some of you, if you strip all that back, there's a feeling of emptiness inside of you. And for some of you, it's even more than that. It's a sense of of real sadness. And you probably thought to yourself, you know what? It's just too much. It's too much to handle. But friends, I want to let you know this that just as he did for Zacchaeus, Jesus wants to set you free from all those things and all those burdens right now. He doesn't want you to fix up your life. He just wants you to come to him with all those things and just hand them over to him, right? Just like Zacchaeus did. Jesus knows you. He knows you from the inside out. He knows everything that's going on in here. And he's calling you right now and he's saying this. I see you. 
I see everything that you're struggling with that no one else sees. I see all the choices that you made. I see all the regrets that you feel. And I know your sense of emptiness. But you know what? I love you. And I want to know you. And I want you to know me as well. You've been chasing after all these things for years and years. But come find rest in me, will you? I've come to be with you. I've come to die on the cross for you in your place to bring you freedom and forgiveness from all these empty pursuits. But more than that, I rose back to life to give you eternal life, life to the full. And I want you to have real joy, real joy that you were made for, just like Zacchaeus. I want that for you. Friends, I don't know how long each of you has left. I don't know. But what I do know is this. I don't want you to be caught up in all the snacks in the transit lounge when your final flight home awaits. Emily, my friend at 34 years, she missed out on so many opportunities that you and I have right now. But she found her ultimate joy in Jesus and she's home with him right now. And I know that if she was here in this room, she'd be asking you and me to do the same. Will you find what you've been missing in life today? Will you encounter Jesus personally right now? Will you take that opportunity to experience the joy and freedom that comes from knowing him as your friend and as your maker? And will you trust him when he tells you that it's not about what you've done or what you haven't done? It's about what he's done for you and what he thinks of you. Will you receive him as your saviour? Will you follow him as your Lord? So friends, in a moment, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Simple prayer, but it will change the course of your life like it did for Zacchaeus. And it goes like this. It's in your bulletins if you want to read along. Jesus, thank you that you've come to give me life to the full. Sorry that I've lived in fear for so long. Please forgive me. Help me to trust you and to find my deepest joy in you. So friends, I'm going to invite us, all of you, to close your eyes, want you bow, bow your heads. And the reason why I'm doing that is I want us to take away all the distractions that might be around us right now. So everyone, just close your eyes. This is not about what anyone else thinks. This is just between you and your God. This is your moment with Him. And friends, I know that some of you right now you're ready. You've heard Jesus call. You've heard him offer to you life to the full and real joy. And if that's you, and you're hearing that for the first time, then friends, I want you to be bold. I want you to respond. I want to invite you to raise your hand 
acknowledge that Jesus, I want to receive you and your joy and your thankfulness. So I want to invite you to, if that's you, to raise your hand and acknowledge that you are ready to receive him. Raise your hand. This is between you and God. No one else. This is your moment with him when Jesus is reaching out to you. Keep those hands up. Now there are some of you who have been going through the motions for years and years and you've heard Jesus speak to you too as well. You've asked him, you're hearing him invite you back into his presence and friends, I want you to recommit your life to him today to rediscover your joy in him and I want to invite you to raise your hands too. Be bold, be honest and raise your hand and say, Jesus, I'm ready to rediscover my joy in you. All right, friends, keep those hands up. I'm going to pray for you right now. Jesus, thank you that you've come to give me life to the full. Sorry that I've lived in fear for so long. Please forgive me. Help me to trust you and to find my deepest joy in you. Amen. Put your hands down. You can open your eyes now.